Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? You're a back-of-the-church kind of crowd today. It's all right. It's all right. I'll be loud enough so that you can hear me, so you can't hide. Yeah. Uh, my name is Nate Wagner. It's so good to be here with you guys, um, and so good to see you. Thank you for coming. Um, and we are continuing to look at some of the different interactions and conversations that Jesus has during his earthly ministry in the Gospel of John. And so we are going to be looking at um, an Easter sermon and a Christmas sermon wrapped up in one today, and it's neither. So that's a treat. Um, but he, he resurrects, and then he has this interaction with the disciples. And it's a really brief kind of snapshot into what is most important to Jesus. So after he resurrects, he has kind of limited time before he goes and ascends to be with the Father. And so everything that he does is very purposeful and intentional in the interim. And so we're going to get a really good look at that here this morning. Um, but before we dive into the text, um, do you guys feel good about the state of the world? Do you feel like it's trending in the right direction? Like, oh, this is a safe place. This is a good place to be. I think things are going pretty well. I don't think too many of us have that type of optimism anymore. It's been gone for a while. And there's kind of some psychological impacts that that's having on all of us. And it's created these like kind of different phenomenon that happen um, as a society. And one of those is, is that usually, like, especially for people who are working and are working in kind of high-powered jobs or stressful jobs, Sunday night comes and it's like a clock starts ticking down, and we're terrified. Anxiety like strikes us, and our instinct is to just go into our room, lock the door, and hide. We don't want to go out. We want somewhere safe, somewhere secure. And this phenomenon is not just with work, but it's with a lot of responsibilities. We feel like there's too much for us to do. We have responsibilities that are overwhelming us, um, that we feel like we can't succeed in, that we don't feel safe and secure handling. Um, and so this is, I just want to acknowledge that, that that is happening. It's probably just part of the human condition that is kind of showing itself in a particular way for us. Um, but we get to see what it looks like for the disciples to also have that same type of experience. Different circumstances, different context, but that same feeling and the, the kind of core feeling that that produces is basically fear. It might kind of manifest differently for different people. Some people might get like hyper-aggressive and um, get really super organized and try and control everything. Other people might just kind of like let everything go and turn into kind of um, just kind of like a, le a lack of concern type of personality. Just like, well, I can't control anything, so I'm not going to try and then some people just want to hide. And so you can probably I find yourself somewhere on that continuum and identify with that because I think it's just so pervasive. But that is, that is kind of the experience that this text speaks into. And um, we see Jesus give us, give us a process to follow, give us some very practical things that we can do to engage God in the midst of that feeling, in the midst of that circumstance. So turn with me. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20, 
verses 19 through 23. So just a really quick, short snapshot this morning. John 20, verses 19, 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we are a fearful people. We are thrown into circumstances and um, events and life stages that just bring to mind our insecurity and our inadequacy. We're vulnerable. And when we're confronted with um, the power of evil and the power of destruction that's at work in this world, um, Lord, our impulse is to hide, is to try and find some type of security and safety where we can and stay there. And so, Lord, I ask that this text would help us, that as we are all doing that in different ways, um, that you would... You would comfort us. You would show us what you have for us, that you would give us peace, Lord, that you would give us a peace that comes from above, from you, and that that would push us out and um, make us peacemakers. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us here this morning, that your spirit would be active, and that it would be um, filling us, and that we would receive your words. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, this text is really simple. It's all about peace. And you know that because Jesus repeats it twice and he doesn't say much. And so he's really drawing attention to this. And so in this text, we're going to see peace is our purpose. Peace is our purpose. And in two main ways, first, we receive peace. So peace is our purpose in that we receive peace. And then peace is our purpose in that we bring peace to others. But peace is our purpose. So to begin with, we have the disciples. And we have to get to know the disciples a little bit and kind of understand why they're hiding in this room, in this locked room. The disciples were a group of 12 that turned into 11 because Judas betrayed Jesus. And... These were men who had given up everything and for three years had been following Jesus full-time, living as nomads. And they had kind of hooked themselves to Jesus because they saw what Jesus was doing and identified him as the Messiah, as the promised king of Israel. And so from kind of like a cost-benefit analysis, they were like, this is a pretty good deal. Yeah, we're giving up like our profession and we have to like leave our families and go, but this is the king, and so like, this will pay off for us. This will, this will work out in our favor. 
And so they do that for about three years. And then what happens? Jesus is betrayed by one of their very own. And the little core of the disciples was blown up, self-destructed. The king was captured, crucified, and died in front of them. So the first thing that's going on with the disciples is this, it's just trauma, right? Like they see a beloved friend, somebody that they not only loved, but also looked up to and followed, their leader, tortured in front of their eyes, killed publicly, ridiculed. And so he's gone. What do they have? They don't really have anything. And so now, very naturally, they're like, if they did that to him, what are they going to do to us? And so this is why the the disciples were in fear. They were um, in fear of the Jews because they were afraid that the Jews were going to put an end to this messianic movement once and for all by hunting them down and doing the same to them. And so they were kind of anticipating this, um, the end of their life, the end of them. And they had kind of just realized, oh, we started something that we couldn't sustain. (laughs) We, We started something we couldn't finish, and the Jews are going to finish it for us. So this is the context of the peace coming in, is this, um, it's tumultuous, it's fearful, they're terrified. And so first, Jesus appears to them to give them peace so that they can receive the peace that he has for them. So notice, John draws attention to the fact that the door's locked, and that kind of has two different functions here. It functions, one, to say like they were afraid, so they barricaded themselves in from the world. And then it also functions because if the doors are locked, how does Jesus just appear? just kind of appears. In Luke's gospel, Luke draws attention to this and says, make, goes through pains to say he is not a spirit. So like Jesus appears, but he's not a ghost. He's, he's physical, he's material, but the door's locked. And so skeptical bones in our bodies are kind of like, did that really happen? How does somebody just appear in a room And here's the great irony of that, is that we kind of like focus on that, or at least I do, I don't know about you guys. I'm like, did Jesus, like, he's material, so how can he just like, did he walk through the door? How does that work? But this man was dead. And now he's alive. (laughs) So that's not really the thing to be skeptical about. If you're questioning whether Jesus can just kind of appear in a room embodied, but you are just like, oh yeah, the resurrection, I just kind of believe that. Maybe the resurrection is just a little too abstract for you, and you haven't really thought about how crazy it is that a dead man is now alive and breathing and speaking. So that's, that's just kind of an aside, that that skepticism is kind of juxtaposed with the miracle of the resurrection. And it's drawing our attention to the fact that this is no ordinary man that this man is special, he has a special calling, a special purpose, and that he is God, the Lord. 
Okay, so how does Jesus give the disciples peace? How does he give them peace? How do they receive peace from them? Well, it's the first thing that he says to them is peace be with you. And he has probably said this to them about a thousand times in their lifespan. This was like a very normal kind of like everyday Jewish greeting. They would, they would ask each other, how is your peace? Or they would just say, peace be with you. This kind of ritual, this greeting, was developed from the blessing that God gave to Aaron, the high priest, to bestow on Israel. We know it pretty well. We use it as the benediction. The Lord give you peace. It's the end. So this kind of idea of peace, of shalom, of wholeness, of completeness, is something that God is bringing to the people, and it's coming through the high priest, because the high priest is making peace with God for the people. So that's the type of peace that they're talking about. One of the, um, one of the really good ways to understand what this is is to think about its opposite, which is fear, but to think about its opposite in kind of like a very basic way in human growth and development. And so I kind of enjoy thinking about this, but especially like the attachment that children form to parents, right? Especially moms early on. It's an attachment that starts in the womb, and there's kind of a known quantity. The child is learning in the womb the movements of the mother, the heart rate of the mother, the diet of the mother. The child's learning this thing and starting to associate that with warmth and comfort and security and safety. And it continues on through feedings, through play. And if you think about how humans develop, it's actually kind of terrifying because our brains develop way faster than our bodies. And so a child's brain is coming alive and is becoming aware of the environment kind of progressively, but they still can't move really. And so they're starting to kind of become aware of an expanding environment, but their agency isn't changing. And so something happens is that fear is introduced. Things that aren't mom are scary. They're unpredictable. They're unknown. And then the absence of mom produces that fear. I don't know that everything's going to be okay. So shalom or peace, this understanding of peace, is more than just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of fullness, of wholeness, of harmony, of satisfaction, of stability of abundance. It's this idea that was given to Israel about the land they were promised. It'd be a land of peace. Everything working together perfectly. Nothing out of place. And so, when Jesus says, peace be with you, it's a very familiar greeting. And so you can understand the disciples just kind of saying like, whoa, it's Jesus blowing by it. But Jesus points out something to draw attention to what he means by peace be with you. And it's, he points to his scars. 
the fact that he was crucified. Jesus brings peace to the disciples through his crucifixion. It says, this, this trauma, this horrific thing that you just witnessed, I've done for you to bring you peace. The destruction that your sin has brought upon you, upon this world, I have endured. And now that sin is dead, just as I was dead. And here's the proof. Scars. So this idea of peace starts to get extremely personal for them. They understand that the price of peace was Jesus' life. That it was their sin, as we sing in the hymn, that put him there on the cross. He's fulfilling that role of the Old Testament high priest because he has made peace with the people and God by satisfying the punishment of sin. There's another way that he brings them peace, and it's a little bit um, more implicit. It's more implied instead of just very clear. But it's the resurrection. The fact that he is alive gives them a new sense of hope. Like they had just lost him. And John says back in um, earlier, right before he kind of introduces this, is that they had forgot, or at least they didn't understand in the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. And so there was something in them that thought this was the end of the story. This was the end of Jesus. This was the end of their hopes for the Messiah of peace. And so Jesus being alive, he breathes on them. That's how real he is. You can feel his breath. He's alive. It brings them peace and it gives them new life. It gives them a new sense of hope. And then finally, at the end of this little paragraph, we see that peace is brought through the Spirit. Jesus instructs them and prepares them to receive the Holy Spirit. And this is the Spirit of peace. And it's the presence of God with us, intimately indwelling us. So the peace that Jesus has formed and established through his death and resurrection is then given to us and applied to us in real time through the gift of the Spirit. And it's that Spirit that brings us that sense of wholeness, of harmony, of peace. So let's pause before we go on to look at how Jesus wants us to then bring peace and look at some of the different ways that we can apply this or misapply it in our lives. And so one of the, one of the ways that we can do this is by looking at some of the different um, kind of tension points in our life, or I, like metaphorically speaking, a crucifixion point in our life. Something that seems hopeless. Something that has devastated you personally. That, seen, that you see as loss without hope of restoration. And you, this morning, you can do the same thing that Jesus does 
which is apply his wounds to those wounds. And what it'll do is it will fill that loss, even if just temporarily, (laughs) with his gift to you. It will remind you of his death for you. Apply his wounds to your wounds. And then the second thing I want to kind of push you towards is to be a people of resurrection. To be a people of resurrection. So sometimes this looks like very foolish hope. Like hope for no reason. Like being kind of optimistic when there's no evidence that it's going to get better. Here's, I guess, a danger with doing that, is that you can actually mistake that kind of resurrection experience, that redemptive experience that happens sometimes in this life, and you can mistake it for Jesus' resurrection. But what I'm asking you to do is not that. It's to apply the principle, like Jesus is alive. He was raised from the dead. God can do anything. There is nothing he can't do. And even if he chooses not to do that in this life, we are looking forward to a new life. That is being a people of the resurrection. There's a new life that is to come. And so, Either way you look at it, if you are somebody who needs to kind of apply Jesus' wounds to your wounds or to um, be encouraged in hope, to persevere in hope, to take some steps of faith to see that resurrection play out, to hope based on the fact that Jesus is alive. You can do both of those things, and that will help you receive that peace and experience it in a new way. Okay, so the second, the second way, now that we've looked at how we receive peace, the second th- way that peace is our purpose is that we, are, we now bring peace. These are extreme statements that you probably kind of perked up with when you heard them. Because the first, the first thing that Jesus says, after he says, peace be with you for the second time, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Well, that's a loaded statement. The Father sent Jesus from heaven into the world where he was crucified. Jesus says, yeah, that's how I'm sending you. So it's being sent into a world of fear. It's being sent maybe into the very source of those fears. It's being sent from a position of security and safety into one of unknown and potential harm. So in some ways, this is kind of realizing the disciples' worst fears. It's like, we can't just stay in this room until things simmer down a little bit. Jesus says, no, I am sending you just as I was sent into this world. But he doesn't send them empty-handed. He sends them with a message of peace. This is at the very end. There's a lot of controversy over this little phrase that Jesus drops. People have misunderstood this in a million different ways, but it's actually really simple. When he instructs them, after he 
breathes on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is preparing them for Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out. He's kind of preparing them. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. So receive the Holy Spirit, not right now in this minute, but when it comes to you, receive it. It's from me, just as this breath is from me. So he's preparing them to receive the Holy Spirit. And then after that, he says, he gives them this mission. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And this is the message of peace that he's giving them. So we know that only God can forgive sins, right? So it's not as if the actual, um, you know, Christians in this world, we get to just kind of like willy-nilly say, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you, you're not forgiven. Like, that's not how this works. Instead, we are given and kind of um, brought into Jesus's ministry of reconciliation, his ministry of peace, his ministry of forgiveness. And we do it through stewarding the gospel, through preaching the gospel, through offering people Jesus. And if they receive Jesus from us, they are forgiven. And if they reject Jesus from the church, they won't be forgiven. And so he is, he is pushing them into stewardship of this message of peace and reconciliation. Think about this for a minute. Our peace that we have because we have received and believe this message, our peace with God is a product of people in real life stewarding the message of the gospel, believing it, taking it to their neighbors, teaching it to their kids, passing it on to the next generation. That's happening in light of impossible circumstances. If you look at 2,000 years of history, this world is not very receptive of Jesus. They killed him. They try, the world tries to stuff, snuff out his message. And yet, in light of that, 2,000 years, we have received it. That's happening through real people. And so the message of peace, it doesn't make us spectators. It makes us missionaries. It doesn't just turn us into, oh, church people who sit and watch what God is doing. No, it's making us participants in grace with a real commission to make disciples of all nations, to steward this message. We bring peace. We don't make peace, but we bring the one who does, the prince of peace, of whose peace there will be no end. So as we think about this, peace being our purpose, let's look at kind of the emotional journey that happened here. And it's, it's actually kind of um, rich in such a short time. You have the disciples start with fear. They're fearful. They're afraid. Jesus shows up and comforts them. So they move from fear to comfort. When he brings them that evidence of his life, of his 
resurrection. They're overjoyed. They were glad when they saw the Lord in verse 20. That joy turned into deep abiding peace. They received the peace that Jesus brought to them. And then from that peace, they found purpose. Their purpose now was to continue to follow Jesus, to continue to bring the message of the gospel into the world, to go back into the world and spread the news of the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 31 of this chapter, John says, the whole purpose of this book is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the peace bringer, the Son of God, and that by believing, having life in his name. So that's our purpose. Where are you in this? Fear, comfort, joy, peace, purpose. Probably a million different places, depending on what you're talking about. But I want you to do this this morning. I want you to locate yourself. Where are you? Because this this passage, God's word, has something for you. And if you get stuck in any one of these, this process of peace, it doesn't look very good. And it doesn't turn out very well for your soul, for the world. If you get stuck in fear, you're always trying to produce your own safety. You don't have any type of lasting, abiding security. If you're stuck in comfort, you turn into kind of like a selfish lush. You obsess over your own comfort. You obsess over the lack of pain, the lack of anxiety, the lack of fear. If you get stuck in joy, you're kind of like a disconnected, like, happy person who never really is able to connect to real life. And if you get stuck in peace without bringing peace to anyone, it will be no peace at all. And so, wherever you're at in the various areas of life, your work, your relationships, your relationship with the Lord, look for the next step in that process. Look for opportunities to step into that. So if you're in fear, do exactly, do exactly what happens here. Look at how Jesus is bringing you peace and take comfort in that. If you feel comforted in certain areas, turn that comfort into joy. Express it. Give thanks. Don't just consume it. If you have joy, let that joy sink deeply into you. Let that paint and color everything that you have and all the interactions with other people that you have. And if you have that peace, if you feel the fullness of your relationship with the Lord, then remember your purpose is to bring that to other people. And you will do that throughout all of these different steps in the process because this is how we are people of peace. We know it deeply because we engage the Lord in this entire process. We don't just try and jump from one to the other. We don't, we don't just kind of say, oh, fear isn't real, 
and if I'm being afraid, I'm a bad Christian. No, like engage your fear and seek the comfort of the Lord in it. So where are you? And what does that next step look for you, look like for you? What steps of faith might God be calling you to? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you, Lord, for being a God who cares about our peace, who cares about the harmony of our lives, who cares about our well-being. But Lord, we also rejoice that you don't care about our well-being so that we might become spoiled or selfish, but you care about our well-being to send us out, to make us like you, so that we might know Christ better as we participate in his mission. Lord, I ask that you would help us that um, as we continue to steward this message of peace, that you would help us remain faithful to it, that you would give us courage, that you would give us comfort to engage the world that we are in, and that we would not shrink back in fear, but that we would bring peace to this world, to this city, to our neighborhoods, to our families. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.